We are going to continue in our study of First Samuel and uh, see some new faces. So I think we'll just do a, a really quick summary of last week and a, a recap just to kind of lay the foundational work before we go into our study. So last week we, uh, we talked about Hannah, Samuel's mother. And so what, when we read the Bible, um, a really good way to read it, or actually the way to, to kind of picture it, is to picture it in your head, is to set a scene in your head, to, to act like a movie producer or a director, and set the scene in your head uh, as if you were filming a movie. So when you kind of pan to character to character, and you're kind of interpreting what they're doing, and you see all the nonverbals, not just the dialogue, right? But you're kind of seeing the nonverbals of what's going on there, and that's kind of how we should kind of see the Bible in, in, in its in, in its living way. And so here we have Hannah; she's married to Elkanah, but Elkanah has this second wife, Peninnah. So you picture these people, and let's just call her productive Peninnah, because um, she was able to have multiple children, and she made sure to rub it in the face of Hannah, um, who was not able to have children. And her harassment was, was so great that it made Hannah miserable. And it, it drove her to tears. And it made her unable to eat. And it happened every year. But this time it was just too much. And in the memorable words of a wise philosopher and sailor, Popeye, um, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Right? So... So her spirit just snapped. That was it. She couldn't take it anymore. And what was supposed to be this time of festivity, this religious celebration, depressed her more. And she couldn't take it anymore. She took off. And so you see it in your head. You see the movie. You see her taking off, right? She's going. And, and you see her at the tabernacle entrance. And she wants to pray. And, and she would probably get to as soon as those heaving sobs stopped. She's just crying so heavily. And you know, you know, Hannah had almost everything an 1100 BC Israelite woman would want to have. Really, right? She, she had a husband that was of social standing. Um, she came from a family of moderate wealth. Um, she had a husband that uh, genuinely showed her affection, that was faithful in his piety. But one of the problems that she had was that she didn't have Elkanah to herself. She had to share this husband. And so productive Peninnah was her thorn in the flesh, saying things that would go straight to her heart to wound her. Now why did Peninnah's taunting hurt Hannah that much? Why did it hurt her so much? Well, in the ancient world, children gave women their dignity. Children gave women their fulfillment. And in Hannah's case, it was what gave her her social standing and some protection against these taunts from Peninnah. And even though Hannah most likely knew the stories of people before her who were barren, it brought no comfort to her. And sometimes that's like us as well, isn't it? Where we, we have something going on in our life and we go to the Bible to try to give us comfort, but it's just something's missing there, right? And, and so I'm sure she... She knew Genesis. I'm sure she remembered Sarah in Genesis chapter 11. Right? And for the next 10 chapters of Genesis, there's this dark cloud over Genesis because Sarah's barren. And then we look at Rebecca in Genesis chapter 25, who was barren for 25 years. 
And then we look at Genesis 29 and we're told of the barrenness of Rachel. And then in Judges 13, we're told of the barren woman, the womb of Manoah's wife, who delivered to us Samson. And, and these stories and these women that went before her didn't give comfort to Hannah. And then we fast forward to Luke chapter 1, where we have this elder lady, this childless lady named Elizabeth, who would give birth to John the Baptist. And we see that barren women seem to be God's instruments in raising up key figures in the history of redemption. So whether it's Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist. And Hannah didn't know it at that time, but she was sharing in the fellowship of barrenness. And often it's in this hopeless situation that new chapters of hope begin. And they usually begin with a disadvantage. And God has a tendency to make our inability, our disadvantage, His starting point. And where our hopelessness, where our helplessness are no match for who our great God is. And in our incapacity, in our inability, is often where God begins. And it's not just in the matters of barren women, but where, wherever we are in our weakness, God shows up. And when God's people are without strength, without hope, without resource, without abilities, God loves to extend His hand toward us, reminding us that He has all that we lack. And keep in mind, uh, keep this in mind uh, as we as we go into this story, and and keep in mind that this is how God often begins working in our lives. So please understand this, so that when circumstances, when times are rough, that you would be encouraged rather than discouraged. God's work often begins when you are in distress. And I don't want to make light of the circumstances that are happening in your life because some of you are going through some really tough things, but I do want to encourage you to kind of temper your despair just by realizing that the very circumstances that you're dealing with may just be the very beginnings of of the work of God in your life to affect you and to affect the others around you. So let's continue our study of Samuel. Verse 21. Now the man and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. You notice that Hannah doesn't go up to the next sacrificial feast with Elkanah and the rest of the family. She's only going to go up when she brings a gift. And the most dear gift of hers is her only baby son, Samuel. And there's something strange um, here in verse 21, you notice that it mention, mentions his vow. You're like, wait, I thought it was her vow. Well, Elkanah knew what she was going to do, and he actually approves of the action. He was okay with giving up his only child with Hannah. And the giving of their son was a joint venture with both of them. And to get a little background on this, you can turn to Numbers 30. And to summarize the entire chapter of Numbers 30, it's telling us that religious vows shouldn't split up families. It's basically what it's saying. Hannah couldn't fulfill her vow without Elkanah. Which is something I want to bring up here. There there are times 
that religious people use religion or they use religious vows and sometimes above and beyond what the Lord normally asks and it's to the detriment of their family. And it causes resentment with their spouse or it causes resentment with their children and it's all in the name of religion or name of Jesus or in the name of whatever. But, you know, we have to remember that we can't give what's not ours. Right? I've been a pastor for over eight years now. And uh, I had another job that I was doing uh, before ministry. And that's what actually brought me to the Bay Area. And it was when I was single. I wasn't married yet. And so then the opportunity presented itself to go into ministry vocationally. And it came up um, after Katie and I were engaged. So I was betrothed, right? And before me was this decision to remain in my career, which I really loved. I really liked it. And it treated me well. I loved the people I worked with. Everything was going great with it. Um, I was climbing up the corporate ladder. Everything was awesome. Or to go into ministry as my vocation. And um, if you put them side by side to each other, um, even to this day, my mom is trying to get me to go back to my other job. Like... She's so, so Katie and I prayed about it, right? We prayed about it, and um, here I am. And some of you are thankful, and you can thank my wife for supporting me in, in that decision, and some of you are like in regret, and you can take that up with my wife because it was her fault. But, <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't have made that decision if she wasn't on board with it. I wouldn't have. It, it, it's not worth it to me. It, you're like, but weren't you called? Yeah, I was called. But I got to take care of things at home. Right? I, I got to... Uh, people often want to give the extraordinary of their life, right? They want to they wanna do extraordinary things, but they're not faithful to the ordinary things. You got to be faithful to the ordinary things. Right? And when you're faithful to the ordinary, and, and God's going to work it out. God worked on her heart. God worked on my heart. And we, and we ended up doing what God wanted. Back to our Bible passage. In verse 22, we notice that Hannah doesn't want to bring him to Eli until Samuel is weaned. And we don't know exactly how long um, he was until he was weaned. It's in the range of three to seven years old. Um, Seven would be really weird. But it's probably closer to three to four years old, right? And so I have a a three and a half year old daughter. And I, I, I can't imagine doing this. Right? Unless she was giving me a hard time like last night during her bedtime. But um, anyway, but I can't imagine doing this, bringing my preschooler, right, my little girl up forever to let somebody else take care of her. But here's Hannah and Elkanah bringing their three, four-year-old Eli, uh, to Eli. And here's preschooler Samuel, like, you know, with his lunchbox. And, and he's making his way up to the tabernacle to be presented to Eli and to be left there to serve there. So here's a question for us to think about. Are we to appear before God without an offering? I'm going to turn... Turn with me to several biblical passages here. The first one is in Exodus chapter 23, verse 15. The second one is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 20. And then the third one is in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. So the first one, Exodus chapter 23, verse 15. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall... Eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the months of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse 20. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Why are we not to appear before the Lord empty-handed? Why bring a gift? Right? It's obvious that God's not broke, isn't it? Right? So what does He want? Psalms chapter 50 tells us He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is not broke. So what is it? What does He want? It's more about what it does to us as worshipers. It's about us needing to practice giving rather than God needing our gifts. And it's similar to when we teach our children to give gifts, right? Growing up, my parents taught me to give my first bite of food to the family. That I wasn't to eat first. And I was also taught that before I take the last piece of anything, that I have to offer it to everyone else. Why did my parents teach me that? They didn't need that food. It wasn't like they needed the last helping of whatever. It's because they wanted me to be a healthy person. They wanted me to learn how to give and to be a generous giver. That even though I'm hungry at the beginning, that I'm, I'm okay. That I can offer. That at the very end, even though it's my favorite piece of whatever, that I can give it up. That I learn to be giving. And if we don't learn how to give, we won't be healthy parents. We won't be healthy people, healthy mates, healthy members of a community. And there are kids being raised who think that the world owes them. And I work with them all the time in this neighborhood. Even my own. Right? And that they feel that they're entitled to whatever they want. And, you know, that kind of mentality is just destructive to them. And it's destructive to the community. Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 24, 1 Samuel Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Samuel wasn't brought empty-handed. And along with him were some very costly items, right? Bulls were not cheap. And if you were poor, you would bring like a dove or something like that. These are bulls. And she brought three of them. Which tells me something. It, It is costly to serve God. It is going to cost us something. And notice what Hannah says to Eli in verses 27 and 28 um, when she presents Samuel. And here's a more literal translation if we plug in the the Hebrew verb to ask according to scholar R. Payne Smith. And it goes like this. For this child I prayed and Yahweh gave me my asking which I asked from him. And also, I also have given back what was asked to Yahweh. All the days he lives, he is the one that is asked for Yahweh. The New Jerusalem Bible puts verse 28 like this. 
Now I make him over to Yahweh for the whole of his life. He is made over to Yahweh. Now do you see a tendency, do you see a pattern in Hannah? See, what what God gives her, what God has blessed her with, she commits back to God. And with Samuel, it's a very specific thing. It's a very literal gift because Samuel is going to serve in the sanctuary at Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant is. Samuel is going to literally serve there in the presence of God. But this brings up a pattern that should be in any godly father or mother. That we make over our children to God. What we were blessed with, we give back, we commit back. That, that what was asked for, we, we give what was asked of God and then we commit it to God. This was Hannah's tendency. This is Hannah's pattern here. You know, when my daughters were born, it, it was just a really exciting time. Um, it, it's like this adrenaline rush once my wife says, I think it's time. <sighs> It's like, whoa, I can't duplicate. I wish I could. I guess I just have to have more children. But to have, you know, we, we, we had to have our bags ready um, and everything's packed up. And, and for our second daughter, I had to have the sitters ready and, and sort the things out with the dog and all this stuff, right? So we, we have everything ready. And then once it, once it happens, we, we drive to the hospital. And then we're given like this really cool pass. It's this yellow pass with a stork on it. So that when you drive by the security officer in the, in the front, you're like, Baby, like she can drive through, right? And you can you can park right in the front. You don't have to wait. You don't have to like search for parking. You can just like you know four in the morning. It's still like ha ha, I got it. And um, we can go in, and then then we check in, and then we get settled, right? And um, and then the whole childbirthing process begins. And then uh, what started as you know these lighter contractions at home became like these really painful ones at the hospital. And then they they put an IV in her, and then um, there are ways to deal with uh, the pains of. of Delivery like massages and the ice water and the different distractions. And then there are the nurses who come in that check on mom's vitals and the baby's vitals. And all this stuff is going on. And eventually, baby Isabella came out. And baby Sienna came out. And and when they came out, they heard a lot of things, right? They heard the beeps and all that stuff of the instruments around there. There was all this background noise of doctors and nurses and, and me telling Katie it's a girl because we, we don't find out uh, the gender. We, we kind of get surprised. And then, um, But the first things that both of my daughters heard directly in their ears was me whispering to them, Jesus is Lord. My wife gave them food for their bodies right away, right? Right away when they're born there. And then I started, I was like, well, I got, I got to give them soul food. <laughs> right? So I, I started right away. I was like, okay, so I got to give them soul food. You get, you get physical food, I give you soul food. And so while my, my wife is, you know, resting there, um, she's worn out, and I get to be with them, just daddy and girl, girls um, that... At those times is when I would shower them with prayers and I would say it verbally or out loud and, and tell them. And I would tell them about Jesus and they don't comprehend anything. But it's my decision that I'm committing this back over to God. And and so they were, they were the subjects of my prayers. I would sing songs uh, badly still, but I would still sing them sing songs about the Lord to them. I was, they were being made over. What God gave to us was being committed over to the Lord. And as Christian parents, isn't this our primary calling? 
Isn't this more important than any career goal that we have, any successes that we have or strive for in our vocation? Isn't this more important than doing a lot of Christian things? Being so busy at church, doing ministry, it's more important than that even. Right? That we can't neglect the spiritual health at home regarding prayer, regarding study, with our, regarding just living our life at home. Isn't this our calling rather than doing Christian things at church? And I, I know a lot of pastors, and some of them are like, wow, the Lord called me, and I'm going to do this. Or, or even people that feel like, oh, I'm called to the ministry, and i got to do this. At the expense of your family? Let's be faithful to the ordinary before we try to give the extraordinary. And may we be continually committing our families to God. And for those of you who don't have children, we all have a part in raising the next generation. Kids here at our church, kids out in the neighborhood that that don't come here on Sunday, but but they're around in the neighborhood. We know a lot of them around here. See, we, we can act we can actively participate in their lives. And sure it's the 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 primary responsibility is the parents. I agree. I agree. But some of them don't have them. So what, you want to just leave them? Right? Some of them are being raised by grandma, grandpa, or aunt, or uncle, or, uh, you know, dad is, is uh, away for whatever reason. We as a church commu- community, we have a role towards investing into the future generation, even though they aren't our physical blood, because they are our spiritual family. And those kids in our children's ministry and in the neighborhood, those are our spiritual brothers. Those are our spiritual sisters. And if you don't see them as such, it's really hard to connect your heart there. If you don't see them to connect that that, that loving relationship, you wouldn't let your, your sibling just be out there, would you? That wouldn't happen. You would take care of them. And so, do you see them as such? And how are you involved in their lives? And there's a generation that needs us. And if it's not going to be our influence directing them to Jesus, it's going to be someone else's influence directing them somewhere else. And some of you may think, well, there's the children's ministry, or there's children's staff, and they should take care of them, and they're headed in the right direction there. Yeah, that's all true, but the people down there are the same people like for the past year, week after week, month after month, and they get tired too. And so where's the care towards them as well as just partners in ministry? See, their well-being needs to be looked over as well, and there may be a slew of reasons as to why you feel the way that you do, that you're too busy or that you don't have kids or whatever. I just want to challenge you a bit that, that don't, uh, don't get caught up in yourself. Just be open to praying, um, to be more open to serving the next generation. Let's look at the future generation and those who serve there week after week, month after month, and it's better to give than to receive. Now, let's look at the verbs uh, in verses 26 through 28, because verbs are extremely important in Hebrew. And let's look at the subjects in verses 28 through 26 through 28 to see what Hannah had done according to her speech. See, like in our English language, we focus a lot on nouns, don't we? We want to know who, or we want to know like the what, or we want to know like Hebrew's different. 
Hebrew has a story, a narrative that goes with it. So the verbs are extremely important in the story. So in her words, here we are. I stood praying, verse 26. I prayed, verse 27. I asked, verse 27. And I have lent or dedicated forever the boy, verse 28. She prayed, she received, and now she keeps her vow and gives. And it began with Hannah standing before God in His presence. See, we can't begin a decent relationship with people if, if we don't stand before them. If we, if we hide, if we're not fully there, we can't expect a good, healthy relationship there. Now, what action dominates Hannah's story here? I think praying. Hannah has a testimony, a story of God's action in her life, and her story is dominated by praying, by asking. And for those of us who want to grow closer to God, we can look at Hannah and notice that she began growing closer to God by simply asking for what she wanted. And she did it in her brokenness. She did it in her bitterness. Right? She was, she was a bitter person. She was angry. But yet, God still is communicating with her there. And with that asking, Israel was given Samuel to bring Israel out of a very bleak period in their history. But Samuel didn't help, out of, uh, help them out of their spiritual darkness when he was three or four years old, right? It took time. There is growth that needs to take place in Samuel before he can do what God has him to do. So, which brings me to the subject of prayer. We, we know that Hophni and Phinehas were, were two very corrupt priests. They were dragging the spiritual uh, health of Israel to death. God was very aware of this. People were aware of this. People were bringing this up in prayer. But God didn't answer the prayers of His people by just striking dead Hophni and Phinehas, right? And then right on the spot, bring somebody from backstage who would pull Israel out of their spiritual quagmire. I'm the hero. Here I am. God didn't do that, did He? God often wants us to grow before he, we can see the results of our prayers. And Samuel was given to Hannah at a, at a very bleak time, and she had to go through the pregnancy, so nine months. She had to go through nursing the child three, four years. And then raising Eli had to raise the child. So this is not quick. This takes time. And some of our prayers take time. Some of the things that we're desiring to see in our life or in our community and our families, they take time. Just keep in mind that God does not have a panic button. He's not wandering up there like, oh, that's right. Those two priests, they're so bad. What am I going to do? Man, I i don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just God. And... So this reveals like the coolness of God to me, right? He, he never panics. Like, oh, there, yeah, things are pretty bad down there. Have a baby. What? That's years. That's a long time. And you know what else it reveals to me about Hannah and Samuel? He uses weak things to accomplish his work. What can be weaker than a baby? Right? They're, they're helpless. They, they can't do anything on their own. They can't even sleep on their own. You gotta like rock them. They can't even, they're useless. So what difference can a baby make? What change can possibly take place from a baby? Right? There's no difference in the birth of Jesus though, is there? 
looking at the birth of our Lord, what do you see? I see a God that doesn't panic. There's no panic button. And then an infant wanting to eat to get their diaper changed, right? That's what they want. They can't do very much except be a baby, right? Lie there, look at you, squirm around, coo, like, whatever. And what can that possibly do? But God's time came. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And despite the actions of Hannah, everything depended and centered on the Lord. It's not about religion, but it's about communicating, having an interaction, an interface with the living God. She prayed to God and God gave to her and then she gave back to God. And this isn't sentimental religion, but but faith in a living God, a real God who can be communicated with, spoken to, who responds, who can do miracles, who's costly to worship. Has God given you something? Now, if He has, which I believe He has to every one of us, if we have received, then we must give. Think about the time uh, that Hannah had to kind of reflect on all of this. Notice that her asking led to her receiving and then her giving. And now the cycle's complete. And just as a child isn't healthy until he or she gives, a parent isn't a good parent unless he or she is willing to receive. And so it's with God as well. And now it's her decision to give her a child, right? Now, is this decision an impulsive one or is this one uh, just an emotional one? Now think about the amount of time that she had to reflect on her decision. Years, right? So she had nine months of pregnancy of pregnancy and then years as she nursed her baby Samuel in her arms and so this was a deliberate decision Hannah was a woman who gave a vow and kept the vow with deliberate decisions she could have backed out at any time like this is my only baby I don't want to give it up right like, like you blessed me with it like I don't I don't want to do that now the lesson here is vows are important to keep keeping our word right it makes us better people We are better friends, we are better mates, we are better parents, we are better assets to community by keeping our vows. Now, have you ever made a vow to God? Keep your vows, even if it makes you unhappy. See, we cannot please God or grow closer to God um, if He's blessed us with something because we, we make this vow and then we don't keep it. We retract See, our relationship with God is not this one-way street, right? There are no healthy relationships that are one-way streets. And being committed is costly. It can cost us our perception of what it means to be happy. And with Hannah, it was her child. God keeps His vows. He keeps His covenant. And to be like Him, we must keep our vows. To be godly is to be like God. Now notice with me the order according to 1 Samuel of Hannah's actions. So first there was a prayer. and She had a need and she presented that need uh, with how she really was at the time. She was bitter and resentful and, and there, there was no, it wasn't an act. She was deeply grieved. She was in a very sad state in her life. And the second step is there was this reception of God's grace or God's miracle, right? She was barren before and now she was able to have a child. 
The third thing is vows were kept. Fourth is gifts were brought along with that vow that she kept. And fifth, they worshipped in this state of commitment. They worshipped in this state of joy. Now why is there a gift along with Samuel? You would think like, isn't that enough? I mean, the kid. That's a lot. That's a, that's a big sacrificial gift. But at the heart of our relationship to God, giving is really important. God is a giver, and to be like Him, we are to be givers. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21. This just brings a smile to my face. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Isn't that cool? We cannot outgive God. You would think like, oh, we were just we going to give our only child. Almost a baseball team. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Now, how many of us like to be around freeloaders? Anybody? Right? Are people who, who never bring anything to the party pleasant to be around? Right? Don't you just get a little bit bugged when someone um, always wants to take, but they never want to contribute? Doesn't that bug you? It bugs me. I'm a pastor. I, I got I to gotta admit to you, it bugs me. I try to be Christ-like about like, oh yeah, let's just give, let's just give. But really, it bugs me. Like, chips again? Like, come on. Right? And, and, and have you ever noticed that there are certain people who are a joy to be around when they walk into the room? And you can even see this in movies. I'm not saying that we, we should do this or anything. But, you know, the guy that brings the keg or the guy that brings like, all the alcohol. Like, oh, yay! Like, everyone's so happy, right? It's like, they're givers. Right? And you notice that in family parties too, don't you? I notice that in my family. Right? In my family, I have a really large family. So when we, when we get down with food, we get down with food. Like, um, it's, it's not just like one meat. It's like every animal that walks meat. Like, everything. Everything's there. And so when we have things, like we have a whole roasted pig. Big old roasted pig. It comes in and it's gone like within an hour because our family's like piranhas. It's gone. And, um, so, but whoever brings it, the uncle, the aunt, my parents, whatever we bring it, it's like, oh yeah, they get so excited. It's because that person's such a giver. And then I do have these relatives that are like cousins and things like that. They don't bring anything. You're like, oh, there I'm again. You're going to eat half of the pig, right? And so, maybe some of you can't relate because it's roasted pig. Thanksgiving, the turkey, right? You're like... Oh, the turkey comes out like, oh, turkey, thank you, Grandma, thank you, Aunt Sue, or whatever. It's, it's because of giving. To give is to bless people. And so there are many excuses as to why people don't give, whatever it may be, whatever your giving is, whether it's uh, finances or whatever. And, and we make excuses, too, because of finances or marital status or not feeling part of community or whatever the reason may be that you don't give. It has to start somewhere. Giving does. So whatever your reason as to why you don't give, you know what? If you choose to start giving, if you choose to change your attitude into being a generous person, you will change. Your personality will change. 
The way you look at things will change. And you'll notice that giving will change you. And then you'll notice a change in your relationship with others because instead of the cousin that comes in with nothing, like, oh, you'll be like, hey! Thank you for bringing that. Right? You're giving, you're contributing. The way that people will look at you will be different. And more importantly, you will be more like God. God is giving. And God wants us to have good, healthy relationships. And, and to have them, we have to be willing to give to others. We have to be keepers of our promises. And if we commit to doing those two things, those simple things really, we will not only have better relationships with other people, our family, our, our friends, our, our church community, our community, but it will also influence our relationship in a positive way to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Hannah and her story. Uh, thank you so much that you don't try to sugarcoat anything. That uh, here we had a woman that was um, bitter, that was resentful, who was hardened, um, and yet you were still open to her to listen to her asking. And Lord, some of us here are struggling with some things. There are some things that are hurtful to us, and, and we come to you broken. And we want you to resolve our prayers. But sometimes they take time. We ask God that we would be faithful to that, that we realize that you don't have a panic button, that um, you are taking care of things in your timing. And as, as that is happening, that you're, you're growing us, that you're, you're making us into people that um, are more in, in align with your character and who you are. And we ask, Lord, that um, you would bless everyone here tonight, wherever we're at uh, in our struggles, or if things are going great, then we, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.